0: Well, once again, good morning, church family. Good morning. good morning, it's good to be with you. My name is Derek, and I am glad to be up here because I love to um, open God's word for us and help us to, um, to look for what God has for us this morning. So looking forward to doing that with you all. And uh, here's where I wanna start by getting us thinking about something. When I say, uh, when I bring this idea up, what do you first think of? When I say the word routine, what first comes to mind when I say when I say the word routine? Is there an aspect of your life that you think of, or or uh, you know a certain thing that comes up, or what about this? What about this? When I say the word routine, does that does that spark for you a, a negative or a positive connotation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's plenty of you that, that routine is, is a positive thing, probably including me in many ways, right? There's, there's things that are good about uh, having a set way of going about things and, 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 and making sure that things are taken care of. Uh, some of you, perhaps, is that a negative connotation, the word routine? Yeah, because some of you are much more spontaneous than others of us that do things uh, freely, and, 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 and when, it, when the opportunity arises... Um, My wife, Amy, and I have talked about this, uh, just that, uh, in fact, it came up somewhat recently that uh, we're not always the best at being able to respond spontaneously and do things, and yet when we do respond spontaneously to some opportunity, it ends up being great a lot of times, and so, um, but I wanted us to think about this a little bit, about this word routine, Because I want to ask you this, have you ever noticed, has your routine ever prevented you from acting spontaneously? Has your routine ever hampered an opportunity you had to really go for it? That's what we're going to be just, I think that hopefully will spark our mind and we'll see if it has anything to do with what we're going to look at God's word here in just a moment. Grab your Bible, open to Mark chapter 14 if you would. Hopefully you got your Bible with you each week if you don 't have one don 't own one we 'd love to get you one. Let us know that we can do that. We love to keep our fingers in god 's word on Sunday mornings here at faith and so I encourage you to bring your Bibles and uh, so we can study them together. Turn to mark chapter fourteen we 're going to start right at the beginning of the chapter at verse one in a moment uh, as you as you, most of you know, we are in a series of, of messages on Sunday mornings called, the series we've called God, Man, uh, Teaching Through the Gospel of Mark, a story of the life and ministry of Jesus. And we find ourselves this morning, we haven't talked a, a ton about this, but if I had to kind of overview the book of Mark, you could kind of divide the gospel of Mark into three acts, three large chunks, three large chapters, whatever you want to call it. And we find ourselves really in act three, the first one is, is the public ministry of Jesus. The act, act 2 would be kind of this, this challenge that arose and some discussions between Jesus and the religious authorities and Jesus really um, starting to foretell his death. And now we find ourselves in Act 3, the close kind of the closing chapters, where Jesus has come to Jerusalem. He is in the final week of his earthly life. He is still in conflict, conflict with the religious leaders, and, and this final week uh, will lead us to what we sometimes in Christian circles call the passion, the crucifixion, the death, and, res- and then resurrection of Jesus. So we are studying the book of Mark right through to Easter this year, and, uh, and that'll be a blast. So we're in Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 1, and uh, we're going to cover uh, verses 1 through 11 But first, I want us to start with kind of the bookends of those 11 verses. So verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. As we've sometimes talked about in recent weeks, Jesus has become an inconvenience, a nuisance for these religious leaders because he's disrupted their religious routine. These these religious leaders of God's people at the time uh, had their traditions, their ways of doing things, and they were good at it. And being good at their routine made them uh, important people in their community, Uh, But now Jesus has come along with the radical message of of God's grace and and the opportunity for us to come into relationship with God and, and live in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is an obstacle, a bit of an obstacle, a threat to these religious leaders because he's a threat to their influence and authority. And so as Jesus has revealed himself, as Jesus has come forward as the, the, prom, the arrival of the promised rescuer, these religious leaders have, have rejected that identity to the point where they are determined to rid themselves of this nuisance by killing him. But because of the Passover celebration, because of what was going on in Jerusalem this very week, 2,000 some years ago, because of the Passover celebration, Jerusalem was packed with people, many of whom had responded positively to Jesus. And so the leaders, these religious leaders, are concerned that if they were to confront Jesus, if they were to arrest him publicly in that setting, they'd be looking for, the people would would look to revolt. So we just read that they are looking for a stealth, a stealth way to get Jesus. Let's skip down to verse 10. Down to verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were glad. And they promised to give Judas money. And he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. Here we have Judas, one of the men closest to Jesus, one of these 12 disciples, one of the men who had just spent the last three years or so uh, living and living and eating and walking and experiencing Jesus, witnessing miracles, learning from his teaching. Judas, one of the 12. But if we were to look over at a similar, uh, a similar story to this morning's in Mark, in John, John tells us in John 12 that, that all along Judas had been a thief. uh, We find in John 12 that Judas had been in charge of the disciples' money bag as they would travel around and have needs, uh, financial needs, or or people supporting them. Uh, And we find in John chapter 12 that Judas had been helping himself to the money bag. So now we we, we see our passage we just read that Judas sees another opportunity then to make a buck, at the expense of Jesus, this time at the cost of betraying his friend at this point, to the point of being uh, an accessory to murder. We have self-preservation. and What's going on with Judas here? We have self-preservation, we have these selfish desires, we have greed, we have the use of money in this rejection of Jesus. Conspiracy against him, betrayal, selling him out. So those are the bookends of our 11 verses this morning. The religious leaders looking to arrest and and then kill Jesus, and then them finding their—at the end of our passage this morning, those those verses we just read, they find their opportunity. Judas willing to betray Jesus. Now let's study the verses that Mark wrote in between those two bookends. Verse 3. And while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, and as he was reclining at a table, a woman came. Let me stop there and just set the scene. We know from another, from, from the Gospel of John. Well, we see in that verse, they're in the house of Simon the leper. We don't know exactly who this Simon is, uh, but even just the description, Simon the leper, I don't think it would be too far of a stretch to imagine that perhaps this is a man that Jesus has healed, has experienced, the miraculous power of Jesus at work, and is now hosting dinner. And quite a group has he gathered, the sisters that are well-known in the gospel stories, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, who's at this house now too here that we read in verse 3. And oh, by the way, Lazarus was just raised from the dead. So this is quite a gathering of people. Verse 3 tells us that he's at the house of Bethany, Uh, In Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, and and a woman comes, and John tells us that that's Mary. Verse 3, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment. This is a perfume of pure nard. The Bible tells us right there, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over Jesus' head. And if you look at the screen, John chapter 12 adds these details for us. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary, in the midst of this pure-hearted act of devotion, of this incredible, lavish gift of love, to Jesus. Here's Mary in the midst of of this act of worship. And what's going on around her? Verse 4. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. So at first I was thinking, What's the big deal? A bar, jar of perfume? Well, was probably five bucks, right? What's the big deal? Why are they so upset about the, the waste? Well, we see uh, on the screen, you'll see a denarius, the, one of the, the coins of the day, and a denarius was worth a day's wage. And so our passage just tells us that it was 300 um, denarii. That would be 300 days wages. And so could we ballpark that in today's economy to approximately $30,000? Jar of perfume. This is not just a bottle of perfume from Rite Aid. This This is prized possession, perhaps even family heirloom passed down, who knows where Mary had this bottle of perfume from. So... Now we might understand, poured out on Jesus? What a waste. John tells us in the Gospel of John, John tells us that it's Judas that started this grumbling that we just read about in Mark. And that in our passage that we just read, those verses you just read would seem to indicate that the other disciples then joined in to Judas's grumbling and Judas's argument because it says that some were annoyed about this supposed waste of perfume, Mr. Handler of the money bag himself, Judas, Mr. Responsible for the money bag, Mr. Had previously dipped his own hand in the money bag for his own purposes, starts the grumbling, because he would have wished they would have sold the perfume, put the 30,000 bucks in the bag so he could dip his hand in there. Verse 6. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Jesus tells us far from being a waste. She has acted out her love for Jesus in a clear way, in a bold way, in an extravagant, lavish act of worship from her heart. And how does, how does Jesus know? Jesus knows that it's from the heart. Jesus knows that her motivation for this act is love. And we see in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 13, if I give away all I have, if I deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Mary had love for Jesus. It wasn't just the act, her act of giving away. It wasn't her act of breaking the bottle of perfume and dumping it on Jesus. It was her motivation of love that told her, that that caused her to act extravagantly, lovingly toward Jesus. Verse seven, Jesus continues, for you always have the poor with you. Why is he addressing this? Because they had just complained that supposedly Judas is Judas' supposed reason for wanting to sell the perfume was so they could give to the poor, right? So they could give to the poor and so he could dip his hand in there. So Jesus addresses this issue then. What about the poor? Jesus says, For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for the poor, but you will not always have me. Mary has done what she could she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Now, of course, we want to be clear here. Is Jesus, by saying you always will have the poor with you, is Jesus saying we don't need to take care of the poor? No, that's not the point. The Bible is very clear in many, many places that God's heart is for the least of these the orphan, the widow, the disenfranchised, the, the foreigner. This is not Jesus saying that the poor are not important. This is not Jesus saying that that it's not our uh, responsibility as followers of Jesus to care for the poor. It is. It is our responsibility. But in this moment, with the opportunity that presented itself to Mary, Mary chose correctly. You will always have the poor. You can always take care of the poor but you will not always have me. Jesus said, you will not always have me. Mary had this opportunity while Jesus was still there in the room, in the flesh, for her to express her devotion to, and she did. The Bible says there in verse eight, she has done what she could. So Mary rightly prioritized love, adoration, worship of Jesus, the God-man. So just recently we studied the story, a a couple Sundays back we studied the story of the widow coming to the treasury at the temple and giving her very measly amount of coins. We discussed this significant act of worship that that while it wasn't an amount of money that was significant, it was her willingness to be all in. It was her willingness to give all for, for her love for God. So We had that story about the importance of a generous heart. Now we have this story where Mary is cracked open a $30,000 bottle of perfume and sacrificed it for the sake of her Savior. And so we've talked a couple weeks ago, and again now it would be appropriate to say that, that, uh, that one of the ways our worship of God, one of the ways of our devotedness to him, our discipleship, to him, our commitment to him, one of the ways that plays out in our lives in a practical way is how we handle our money. The Bible is very clear with encouragement to handle our money in a way that honors God, and that is an indicator of our discipleship. But of course, that's not the only way that our lives demonstrate worship for Jesus. Another thing that comes to our mind when we say worship is singing, right? Another thing that we often think of when we say the word worship, we think of singing. And and yes, singing, lifting our voices together as we've done this morning, gathering together to lift our voices. That is one way that we express our devotion to God and our our love for him. And um, I'm going to take the minute just to be a little frank, and I hope you'll receive it with as much love and grace is appropriate, Uh, perhaps routine is allowing uh, weather and sports banter in the foyer and coffee and awesome fellowship with ABF people. Perhaps routine is allowing those things to delay your arrival to the gathering of God's people And for us to converse and chat over the first opportunity of the morning at 10.30 a.m. to lift our voices in worship of Jesus. Perhaps routine is allowing ourselves to think of the first song of the morning as a prelude. Perhaps love of God with no one specific in mind is being on time and being respectful to our worship team and having our hearts prepared for what it is we gather for. Does that make sense? Because it's, it's what? 75 minutes a week? Let's, let's ask God to help us be ready for what he wants to do when we gather together. In addition, singing is one way we proclaim our worship, but of course our gatherings here on Sunday mornings include uh, more than just singing, they include our opportunity to worship Jesus through our giving, our prayers, our listening to God's word, our ministering to one another before and after we gather, our opportunities for God through you to love those around you. And so we, we have many things that God wants to do in and through us as we gather for worship, And Pastor Ted was always great about reminding us that worship is about so much more than singing, right? He would have been the top advocate around here that worship is uh, all-of-life activity, something that God does in us that we give all of ourselves to. We look on the screen at God's Word from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, this is, your whole self. All that you are is what the Bible means by bodies there. By mercy of God, to present your bodies, your whole selves, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So I want us this morning to consider this. What does this look like in our lives? What does it look like to present all that we are, God as a sacrifice? What does it look like for us to follow Jesus? Or maybe I should ask, what does following Jesus cost us? And I'm not just talking about financially. Mary made a sacrifice, a costly sacrifice. She, th- there was deprivation involved. There was, there was inconvenience involved. What does it look like to offer our lives, all that we are, in worship of our great God? Does it cost us anything? Does our following him day to day, does our coming to church gathering on Sunday morning, is it costly? Is it inconvenient? Is living out our faith among lost people who need Jesus, is it, is it inconvenient or sometimes painful? Does it cost us anything? Or do we um, tend to lean into routine and comfort and what's easiest? So if we want our lives to be poured out, if we want to follow Jesus in a way that our lives are, are given for him, if we want to know what it means to live our li- give our lives as a, as a sacrifice, let's look a little bit more at what Mary did in our passage, and, and what can we then how can we then learn from her example? Uh, first, Mary's action was motivated by love. We talked about that. It was spontaneous, and it was not dominated by practicality. It was motivated by love. It was spontaneous, and it was not dominated by practicality. I think I've got it. I think I'm, I'm living this one out great. I love baseball. I will spontaneously spend three hours in front of the TV, no problem. And that itself is very impractical. So I'm definitely I'm, I'm the, I'm on the right track, right? It's love. It's spontaneous. <laughs> I got some shaking heads. Good. It's love, it's spontaneous, and it's, and it's not practical. Do our lives, do our choices, do our actions like those indicate, are, are our lives marked by, by spontaneous, lavish expressions of love for God? I can do that for baseball. I can lavishly, spontaneously, impractically love baseball, but but is but the rest of my life are, are aspects of my life marked by spontaneous, lavish expressions of love for God. When, when, when Jesus was in the room with her, Mary had an opportunity and she didn't miss it. Devo- to show her devotion, that Jesus was worthy, only one worthy of her love of her worship, of her adoration. What else do we see about Mary's act of worship? Her wor- the second thing is her act of worship put Jesus above all else. Her, by, by, by coming to him and breaking open this bottle of perfume and anointing him and wiping his feet, her act of worship put Jesus above all else in her life. even the other good things in our lives, right? There's lots of good things in our lives that are gifts from God, things that we enjoy doing, people who are, we, are, we love and are dearly close to. These are all good things, but God's call as we follow him is to put him above and before all else. Do we spend time with him? Do we worship him? Are we learning? Are we growing in our faith with Him? Or are we content with routine? Or with status quo? If someone meets me or gets to know me or observes my life, what would they guess to be of top importance to me? And you? If someone observed your life and guessed what was of top importance, what would they they guess? What would they find? How do our lives demonstrate that Jesus is first and foremost, that we desire to live our lives that are all about Jesus, not about ourselves? And then the last thing I want to mention is that Mary's act of worship was all in. Language I used a couple weeks ago in regards to the widow's offering, Mary's act of worship was all in. It was complete. I think it's an understatement in verse 12 when Jesus says, She did all she could. She did what she could. Yeah, she did. She took a $30,000 bottle of perfume off the shelf. (laughs) Mary did what she could. When I think about my life and how I have been rescued by God, when I think of where I was and where I deserve to be apart from Christ when I think what is due to me by a righteous, holy, perfect creator God, when I think of what is due to me apart from Christ, and then I think of the grace of God that pursued me and rescued me and saved me and forgave me and made me right with God, and then he wasn't done, God is changing me from the inside out, giving me a new heart and a new mind, a new attitude, Victory over sin. Not perfect, but growing. When I think of what God has done for me and for so many of you who are in Christ, I think the only appropriate response is all in. Complete, unashamed, lavish, worship and life given for him How do we how can we possibly live lives that repay Jesus we can't So how do we offer our lives in worship because we're thankful because we know what he's done Do we offer Do we offer him our most treasured possessions? Do we trust Jesus with the relationships we hold most dear? Have we surrendered all that we are, every area of life? Or are we holding some things that we need control of? That we can't trust God with? Have we truly surrendered ourselves, all that we are, every area of our heart, to his loving care? Let's look again at verse 8. She, Mary, has done what she could. (laughs) She has anointed my body, Jesus says, beforehand for burial. Here is yet again Jesus foretelling his coming death just days away. Verse nine, and truly, Jesus says, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what Mary has done will be told in memory of her. Is that incredible? And we know it's true. It says wherever the gospel is proclaimed, and let's real quick be clear about what's the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God has rescued sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's good news, right? What Jesus just said was that wherever the gospel is proclaimed, wherever the good news of Jesus is proclaimed, this story of what Mary has done will be told in memory of her. A major, major way that the good news of Jesus is proclaimed is the book you hold in your lap. The gift that is God's word and the fact that her story is included in God's word is Jesus' words coming to truth, which is when the good news of Jesus is proclaimed, the story of Mary's lavish, unexpected, bold worship of Jesus will be told. We had bookends this morning of religious leaders that were inconvenienced, by Jesus and looking to get him out of the way. We had a bookend that was a close friend of his willing to sell him out. And then Mark put in between those two things a story of Mary's worship. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, what Mary has done will be told in memory of her So as we, as you and I, go into a new week, as we continue to follow Jesus, I want to know, I want to ask you, what does it look like? Let's see this verse on the screen. What does it look like for our lives? What does it look like for our worship of Jesus to be in whatever we do, in word or deed, doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him? Loving Heavenly Father, we look to you now. Loving Father in Heaven, Creator God, Mighty God, we look to you now. In light of what Jesus has done for us, Lord, we thank you for rescuing us from sin and death. And as God, as we lift our eyes to you now, as we look to you in thankfulness for all you have done for us through Christ, God, I pray that right now you would help us to examine ourselves, to reflect on our lives. God, would you help me right now and my friends in this room to consider, to reflect, to examine ourselves on on how our lives express our devotion to you. God, God, reveal to us where we are in regard to you. Have we entrusted ourselves to you? Have we surrendered control of life and asked you to be Lord and Master? Or are we operating on our own power? Father, would you show us the truth of our heart? Would you, would you ex- help us to examine ourselves? God, we want to live lives. We want to have words and actions that, that indicate our love for you, not our rejection of you. God, we thank you for sending your son, the God-man, Jesus. God, would you give us lives that demonstrate that, that, uh, that we worship him? God, I pray that our lives would not demonstrate that we've rejected him because he's an inconvenience. Father God, as we follow Jesus, I pray that we would not be worried about what others think of our faith, but we would be focused on your response to our worship. And as we come to you this morning, Father, we confess that our lives are sometimes dulled by routine, by self-serving, by convenience, by comfort, and when we rely on those things, we betray our Lord. God, would you help us to grow in spontaneous, extravagant, God-focused devotion that Jesus in our story this morning called a beautiful thing. So as we lift our voices now, as we give our gifts, as we care for one another before we go, help us to do all of these things in adoration of you, in thankfulness to you, in worship of you, Help us to worship you from our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read to you from God's word. This is Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand." Let's worship our great God together. Excellent to be able to do that with our words, with our voices, to proclaim that Jesus is the one we love, that he is the one we want to adore. And now, having studied God's word, my heart, my prayer, my desire for you and for me is that we would leave this room and that our lives would be marked by spontaneous, lavish, costly sacrificial, intentional acts of worship to proclaim Jesus' greatness to Him and to those that would see our lives. And I love it. And we're going to do that together. So if you're a follower of Jesus, may your life be marked by those acts of worship. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we want to help you meet and find and follow Jesus. If you are not a follower of Jesus, why why did Mary do that? Because Jesus is the only one worthy of our worship. Because he is the God-man, the Son of God, who came, who lived the life that you and I can't, who died a death in our place, and who was raised again to life so that you and I can have life with God. So if you don't know Jesus, let us introduce you to him. We want you to enjoy a new life in Jesus. So let us know if we can help you, pray for you, talk with you about that. Sound good? Amen.